Hi, my name is Queen Zoya Counts, and I would like to welcome you to my podcast, Miss Z's Storytelling. This month of February, for the rest of the month anyway, I am going to choose 23 of my favorite books written by black authors. I'm going to read one or two chapters from the book, and then I'm going to talk about the book. And this is a way to boost them up. Or if you are interested in purchasing one of their books, I will have the details and the information in the description of what I am reading. So I would like to thank you for listening to my podcast, Miss Z's Storytelling. And if you are an author that you would like to share a story or you would like to, for me to read one or two chapters of your book to big people up or big you up on having people come and purchase your book, please reach out to me. All the information will be listed in the description. Peace. My name is Queen Zoya Counts, and the next book that I want y'all to go and pick up and buy to support this African-American author is by Nalo Hopkinson, and it's called The Salt Roads. I know one of her, I don't know if it's this book or another book, but um, one of her books was actually turned into a movie, which they premiered on Hulu. So check it out. Um, I have books by Teneverell Do, author of The Good House, but you know, those are on Kindle. And she also had a very good review to say about her. The Salt Rose is it talks about civilizations. It also talks about um, um, the religious aspects of African American people. It talks about how, you know, we are seeking for a lot of different things and sometimes we have to get so many slaps in our faces to understand where we are who we are and then once we do that then we're able to come out on top okay so nalo hopkinson the salt roads the main character of the salt roads her name is zili and you've got to read about You've got to read about her. Like, you've got to read about Azile. You've got to read about Murd. you got to read about Jeanne Duval. These are some of the characters in this book. I could not, this is another book that I could not put down either. It talks about conjuring. Um, she goes into history. She explains some things about history to you. And it is a... Jewel Parker Rose said that it is a fabulous, wonderful, inventive novel, a fine celebration of African heritage. Jewel Parker Rose, another author that I love. So I am going to read Nalo, Nalo Hopkinson, The Salt Roads. The Salt Roads Beat. It went in white, but it will come out a mulatto in a few months' time. Yes, I was right. The oven of Georgine's belly was swelling up nice with the white man's loaf it was cooking to brown. I cackled at my own joke like the old woman I was becoming, stretched by my neck a little to ease his soreness. A deep breath brought me salt-smelling air blowing up from the cliffs at the foot of the plantation. Good to get away for a few minutes from stooping over sugar cane. Sixteen hours each day they had us working to bring the sugar in, and old Cuba the driverist would still push the first gang to pluck weeds sometimes into the deep of the night. 
Georgine just stared at me in fear. Never mind, it was she who had brought herself to me by her own will. Then she whispered, No, Auntie, not just mulatto. I'm Griffon. My mother was Sakatra. The baby will be Marabou. Eh, I ignored her, poked again at her belly, at her lowing on the flower bags that made my bed on the floor of my hut. She got to plant her behind in a softer bed nowadays, even had a mattress, I bet. I wondered if the ticks didn't bite her when she put her head on Mr. Pierre's straw-stuffed pillows. I knew Georgine's type. Made a road by lying down, lying down with dog, get up with fleas, they say. Silly wench with her caramel skin, acting like the lady because she worked in the great house, washing white people's stained sheets till her fingers cracked and bled from the soap. Free colored philomies have been making eyes at a well-off brown man with his own coffee plantation and plenty of slaves to work with, but no, our master didn't want a color to have her. Gave her instead to that yeasty-smelling carpenter and ported to Sam Dominique, him from some backwards village in the ass in of France. And Georgine was puffing herself up now. She had a white man. Never mind, he didn't have two coins to rub together. True, she had cause maybe to be happy. Pierre was looking after her well. She might get two, three free children out of it too. And if she gave him enough boys, her Pierre might release her from slavery, finally, when she was old enough. But now she needed tending, and now that flat behind raw door boy they called the plantation surgeon was too shy to even lay his hands on her belly to feel the baby. Who did she come to? She didn't trust him. She wasn't an entire fool. Instead, she found her high yellow colored self to my hut, and her carpenter had come with her too. Got time off from mending the weighing carts as they burst under the weight of the cane they were carrying to the factory. Waiting outside, he was screwing his hat into shreds between his big paws. Frightened, I would poison his Georgine, his goods, all the back around. These parts was frightened of poison nowadays. Black people's poison was showing up in the food and bad wonga in their beds. But Mr. Pierre was more frightened to see a woman's business. So outside he said, saying it was more decent. Eh, what decent could mean to we with black blood who never feared for my decency? Night, nigga woman spoiled fine ass as any lady. She's best watch herself. Slightest thing she did that misplease that backer man, he'd pack her off out of his little house. I went to turn up the hem of Georgine's dress. She gasped, flinched. I sighed. Can't examine you with all this cloth in the way. She considered, set her mouth firmly. Proceed, then. Proceed? Stupid wench, pampered pet, parrot, talking with backwards tongue. I touched her dress again, a soft cotton hand-me-down from some backwards wife and dyed a yellow pail like ripe guavas. The fabric caught on the calluses of my hands. I rushed it up around her waist, exposed her smooth leg, her pouting belly, her boobom lips covered in black, kinky hair. She was even paler where the sun didn't touch her. Bleached, negress. Oh, but she was thin, meager like the chicken scratching in the yard outside. Eh, I muttered on purpose as though my patient wasn't there. But think the hair on the little boppet would be pale like the skin. Georgine gave a small sound made to push the dress back down with her hands. Stopped. Good. The clean salt scent of Georgine's body came up in my nose mixed with sweet rose water. Me, I smelled of sweat. Her thigh under my fingers was velvet smooth like my baby's long lost. My body was dry wood after years of work. The brand that had got infected and nearly killed me tunneled a ropey knot on my thigh. 
Her yellow dress reflected the sun back in its own eye. My one frock was a colorless calico cut from a flower sack washed a thousand times that Tipiji had darned for me over and over again, for my hands were impatient with needles unless it was to sew up a wound. Georgine's skin was steamed milk with a splash of high mountain coffee. Me, the color of dirt in the cane fields. I poked and prodded at Georgine's belly while she tried not to squirm. I took my time. I ain't in no hurry to get back to the fields. My back was thinking me for having a rest. When did you get pregnant? I don't know, auntie, she said in a small voice. No, nothing, girl, child. When did your courses stop? I asked, trying another way to get the answer from her. Stop? They only started. She was frowning, looking up into the ceiling while she did the figuring. Ten months ago. My first blood, then I bled three times, three months, and pretty soon I started puking a lot. Then I realized the bleeding had stopped. I thought it was going to go away, and I was glad, for I didn't like the pain in the blood. I felt like the whole thing was only fatiguing me. When the bleeding came every month, I didn't have the strength to lift the washing down to the river. Martha beat me one day, told me I was too lazy, so I was glad when the bleeding stopped. Yes, it's Marie Claire who told me I was pregnant. Her face got red, and she smiled, glancing down. For Pierre, seven months, maybe more, but the child under my hands was too small for a seventh-month baby. How you feeling? I'm tired all the time, my tante, even more than when I used to get my courses. I went and looked under her eyelids. Her color was poor. Her blood was thin. You and Pierre eating good? Yes, my tante. I'm keeping a nice garden Sundays when I have the day off. I'm growing cassava and pumpkin. Plenty pumpkin, Pierre says. I don't have to take none of it to market. If a master's paying him a wage, we can both live on. If we're careful, Pierre says. Pierre says. Marie Claire says. I'm asking about you, not about them. She looked chastened. Yes, my tante. What should I do then? Back in my home, back in the kingdom of the homie, every a lot of girl child woman would know what to do if a woman wasn't strong enough to carry her baby. Eat foods to strengthen the blood. You have beets in your garden? No, my tante. I should grow some? Yes. I wish if you could get liver too. I get meat sometimes, eh? Maybe she thought her Pierre was a fine hunter as well as all his other talents. How do you mean meat? Sometimes Pierre gets meat left over after the great house is finished eating dinner. Don't eat that meat. She jumped, startled to hear me speak so strong. No, child, I said. I don't mean nothing by it. Just that white people don't know about food. Plenty of times their meat is spoiled and they're still eating it. Oh, it tastes nice, though. Be off all just with red wine sauce. Little bit of girl was making airs that she got to eat great house food. You can't stay weak and tired like this and have a baby. Oh, she said fearfully. Am I going to die? Pride made me speak to her as I did to other women. You've ever seen an African live more than ten years once he set foot on the island? Georgine shook her head. No. Too right. Sickness and torture kill most of us on the journey across the bitter water when the backer worked the rest of the, us to death when we got here. Plenty more were coming on the ships to replace us. Well, I've been here 12 years, was apprenticed to my midwife mother before I came. That's why they made me doctors. Don't you worry. I've taken dozens of babies on this island live from their mother's wombs and put them in their mother's arms. She smiled. So I didn't tell her how many of those mothers had died of fever soon afterwards. Didn't tell her how many of the babies had got the lockjaw and never breathed again. Didn't talk of my little dead one so many years ago. Returned beneath the water to the spirits before his knife night, so he had never really existed. No name for him except in my head. He was beautiful. I call him Igliosi. None can even you. Should have been. Amadi might die at birth. 
Back in my home, we cared for women when they were breeding, gave them the best foods. They rested for days afterwards with their babies, getting to know them. Here, I must help starving women, squatting in sugar cane, whose children were fighting their way free of their wombs. Afterwards, I strapped their children to their backs, and if they were lucky, they got a day's rest in the slave hospital before they had to get their black behinds back to work. A footfall came outside the window. A small face looked in on us, grinning. Then a shout came from outside. Georgine's owning man. Georgine screamed, who is it? And shoved her clothing down over her thighs. Just one of the little boys I turned aloud so the carpenter would hear. Get dressed. Ola Sarine let him not beat the child. I stepped outside. It was Thibault. All of his skinny six-year-old soul case quivering with excitement. Sorry, Mr. Pierre. I mumbled at the comforter. He grunted, nodded, his eyes searching within my hut for Georgine. Thibault had gotten all light. Off light this time, I hissed at Thibault. Why did you push your face in my window, little Dora Peep? If you make the backer man vex, you and me both could get whipped. Maybe we should call you T. Malice. Hmm? His face twitched, a frightened, apologetic smile. Sorry, my tante. Sorry, Aunt Amir. It's the bookkeeper who sent me. You must come quick. Hoppin' John stepped on the centipede in the sugar cane and it bit him. He's in the mill house. No time to take him to the slave hospital. Quick, auntie. Come. He turned on his heel, running back for the cane fields. I shouted for him to wait for me, then said to the carpenter, Mr. Pierre, Georgine's coming out now. He was frowning. He really looked fretful for his Georgine. How was her health? She was living. Hoppin' John might be dying. She will be well, Mr. Pierre. I already told you what she needs to do. His face cleared a little. Good. You're to be with her when her time comes at our house. How? Your master gave permission. Yes, Mr. Pierre. I will send her out to you now. I dashed back into my room. Someone's sick, I told Georgine. I have to go and help. But you must grow beets and eat them. Make yourself strong for the birth and eat ginger root and make a poultice. Put it down there every night on the open into your bonbon. She got a scandalized look. I didn't have time for that. Not strong enough to burn mine. It will make the skin supple so the baby will pass through without tearing it. And tell your competent not to touch you until after you wean. She gapped so long, so long, or your milk will be weak and your child won't thrive. Georgine looked down at her big belly like she was just now thinking of all that it signified. Your baby is coming in two months, not more. When your birth time comes, I'll be there that with you, Master says. I have to go now. I ran through the door, leaving her questions on her lips. Maybe they will let Tipiji come with me to Georgine's birth. La Sirene, pray you a quick death for Hoppin' John. Pray you no more of this life for him, even though no gods answer black people's prayers here in this place. Halfway to the mill house, I had to pass under the big connect tree. I just had time to hear a rustling in the leaves when a body jumped down out of it in front of me. It landed on its two feet, then overbalanced, but only had one hand to put to the ground to steady itself. My candle, come all the way from Limbe to make mischief. Salam alaikum, Matant, he greeted me. Peace be unto you. I didn't give him back his blessing. Get out of my way. Someone's sick. He straightened, cradled his long-heeled stump of his right arm in his left hand. After his accident, he wouldn't take food from the same pot with us anymore. He was a Muslim, and they count the left hand unclean. McCondal stood tall, grinned at me. Tails flow from Hoppin' John's mouth the way shit flows from a duck's behind, he said around a kidnap fruit in his mouth. Always talking my business. Naked run tobacco sometimes in, in such a hurry to tell tales. He doesn't look where he's walking. Steps on something nasty. Gets pick. He jabbed the fingertip of thorn biting into his flesh. He put a fake sadness on his face. 
It's a bad way to sicken, my tonk. It's you made Hopper John ill. Not a centipede, but a paquette in the fields. A piece of sharpened bamboo in the brute had jammed it to the ground, smeared with poison on its tip. He smiled bright like the day. I told the paquette to watch whoever was talking my business. Looks like I aimed it true. He spat out the pale ball of the knep seed. Where's Marie Claire? He asked. In the kitchen, you think? I have a new herb for her to flavor your master's food with. I scanned up my face to think of him sticking that left hand he used to wipe his ass with into the cook pot. All the Ganin thought Makondo was so powerful that he was our savior. Me? I didn't trust him. I made the shove past him. Get out of my way and go. Runaway thief hiding in the bush, making off with the yams that Jinjin must grow to feed themselves and their children, calling himself Maroon. I'm gone, my tante mare. And just like that, he disappeared, turned to air. No, there he was, a mademoiselle now doing his dragonfly dance level with my nose. So like McCandle, playing games when I was about serious business. The mademoiselle landed on my head, its wings flickering like when you whip your back skirt him to contempt somebody. It was missing half a front leg. Get away or I feed you salt, I told him. Fluer had told me that McCandle's mother back in Africa had been a djinn, a demon from the north. The desert lands. Me? I thought I knew how he strengthened the gin half of him. Every man jack of us as we got off the slave ships, the white gods' priest used seawater to make the magic cross on our foreheads and bind us with salt to this land. Maybe not McCandle, never trained with white man's abia, never fed the salt of the bitter soul of his new world to tie his earthly body down to it, never ate the salt fish in the filthy harem, the salt pork that was the only meat the ginger got. A miracle, but he still was too much of this world to be able to fly back home. No, he was going to stay here and make mischief instead. I went to collapse the nasty fly dead like the vermin it was, but it scooted away, wings buzzing that tune. Wine is white blood. San Domingo, we going to drink white blood. San Domingo. A black wave of retribution was set to crash over San Domingo, and its crest was Francois McCandle. I ran to tend Hoppin' John. Sometimes mayors seem to tip a G like the hands of Papa God himself. People talk but don't do nothing, the Janin people say. Papa God doesn't talk, but he does plenty. Mayor, her words remain in her head, but her actions went out into the world. There was healing in her hands. Release. Standing on the factory floor with sugarcane leaves pricking her cows, tip a G watched for Mayor to come to see Hoppin' John. A cockroach waddled out from under some leaves. It was longer than a thumb, fat and drunk on rotten cane. It spread mahogany brown wings and flew towards the mill. Pardon, Tipiji. It was Jacques and Oreste bringing in cane from the weighing carts and feeding it into the crushers. Tipiji moved out their way. The sugar stench was making her head pound today. The whole six months of crop time, she could never get that heavy sugar smell out of her nose or the stupid lowing of the oxen pulling the wains or their hammering, hammering, hammering of the wainwrights and the carpenters men in the carts and the troughs, the cane juice float along. Everything was always breaking. Everybody was always working. No free time to go sit by the clean, peaceful wash of the salt sea and pray to Aziri near her waters. The bookkeeper overseer of the fields had made them carry John inside here. Then he sent everyone but Tipichi back to the work. Stupid, dumb, black, he said to her as he stared in her horror at John's leg, the flesh of John's heels swollen and discolored. Why'd he go and step on that thing? He bent down, groaning to lace his boots higher. Thick leather, it came up to his calves. Hoppin' John was in bare feet. Tipiji, you stay here until Matin comes. Then you get right back to work. You here? Yes, sir. He started walking out, stopped in the doorway, looked back at John, bit his lip, 
John had been making him laugh just before the centipede stuck, telling him the story about the screech owl who went a-courting. The bookkeeper shook his head, jumped into a cart that was heading back to the fields that were being cut. Tippa G watched until the bookkeeper was well gone before she went to nearby John. Handsome he was, strong and tall with dark, smooth skin. Vain, too. She could smell the coconut oil he had used to make his hair gleam. John? Hoppin' John? No answer. John was curled up into a ball, breathing in little sips. Not good. Mary had taught Tippagee to look out for that. Nothing to do till she got here, though. For all that he was good-looking, John's breath was bad, like boiled rice that had gone rotten. From eating poorly, most of the slaves lost their teeth one by one. Oreste came to Tippagee with a stick of cane, hiding it in front of him so no one would see. He could get punished for helping himself to his master's produce. Last month, the bookkeeper had caught Babette chewing on some cane to refresh herself while she cut, and he had put her out all night in the stocks with cane juice smeared all over her naked body. Mosquitoes and ants had driven her nearly mad before he loosed her, and Mare could tend to her swollen shut eyes and the itchy raised bites that covered her. Oreste peeled back the hard rind from the cane with his knife and gave Tippagee the chick to stew. Chew. She smiled him thanks, set about gnawing the sweet juice out of the tough white fibers. He smiled back, tucked his knife away. He went and touched Hoppin' John on the shoulder. Hoppin' John never moved. He's going to be all right, Oreste asked. Don't know. Mayor's coming. The overseer shot at Oreste as he got back to loading the crushers. Before the overseer could see, Tippagee tossed the gnawed cane trash into the floor and kicked leaves over it. She looked through the door that led deeper into the factory. The heavy odor of hot syrup from the big copper boilers climbed up inside her nose. Over by the boilers, Martinique dipped her thumb and forefinger into the smallest copper test in the teeth inside to see if it was thick enough. She was skilled at it, was training Hector. No chatter in the factory this time. Everyone was waiting to see if Hoppin' John would live. Tippagee peered outside again. There she came. Du Bois was dragging her by the hand like he didn't realize she was getting old. Sometimes Tippagee forgot, too, could only remember Mare's strong hands, her eyes deep, the muscle of her thighs as she scissored her legs around Tippagee's waist. Mare always been there for her. Shipmates, sisters before Tippagee's blood came, wives to each other after, even when they had husbands. Tippagee stepped out the door. Honor my tante, she called out over the racket of the sugar-making. Hoppin' John is in here. Respect, Mayor cried, returning Tippagee's greeting in a sudden trough of silence. Tippagee heard when John pushed out one quiet breath. All of the Ganine on Sacred Core Plantation were grateful to have Mir as their doctors. Bellis bore further down the way had only Jean Regard, the young, timid white man whose job it was to treat the Ganine on both Bellis Bior and Sacred Coeur when they sickened. People died faster on Bellis Bior. After six years of labor, maybe eight, living twelve years in this land, the time it had taken for Mare to lose a child and a husband meant that Mare had earned a place among the Ganine as one of the elders. So if she and Tipperchee wanted to play Madame B Mad Divinez with each other like some young girls did while they were waiting for marriage, well... Plenty of the Ganin felt life was too brief to fret about it. So long as Tippagee was doing her duty by her husband, most people swallowed their bile and let them be. Tippagee esteemed her Patrice for that, how he had never tried to take the joy of Mare from her. Another man would have beat her. Patrice had gone to know that her love was bigger for having so many to love him. Her child, Marie Leclerc, Mare, she thought about Patrice often, hoped he was happy on his grand marinage, run away from the plantation and left her more than a year now. She missed his laugh and the feel in their bed of his strong hands on her hips. She missed dancing the calendar, too, with her sweet, light-footed man. But she hoped he was still free. 
Mayor came in, took one look at John, shooed to bolts back off to the field to pick up some cane trash. He whined. He wanted to stay, but she got that voice. Tippachi knew that voice well. He never thought but to obey it. She seen the bookkeeper himself hop quick sometimes when Mayor used that voice. So off went to board. Mayor looked around. People could see them, so she just touched Tippachi on the shoulder. Quick and then gone. Tippachi's soul, that warm touch would stay with Tippachi till evening when she could see Mayor again run her hands under Mayor's dress, feel the small part of her flesh. Mayor knelt by John, called his name, put her cheek to his mouth to feel his breathing. His lids were slack. Tippachi could see crescent moons of his eyeballs peeking out. Not good. Mayor touched John's cheek and his eyes fluttered, opened. He grabs Mayor's wrist, tried to lift his head. Mayor helped. Tippachi could see John's lips moving, but she couldn't hear over the racket. What was he saying? He stopped talking, but didn't close his mouth. His stare stayed, planted over Mayor's shoulder. Mayor lowered him, back down, put a gentle hand on his chest. She stayed so a little while, then looked over at Tippachi, grinning a smile sharp enough to cut. Gone, she hissed. A tear oozed down her cheek. Another. Gods be praised, Tippachi. Another one has escaped. Mayor, he's dead. Mayor always had that strange way of talking about death that made Tippachi's stomach heavy about how it was their living souls flying back home to the Guinea land and freedom, about how it was good to leave life and flee away from this place where the colorless dead tormented them daily. Mayor straightened and hopping John's shirt touched his face. I didn't even have to ask him if he wanted to slip away, she said. She dashed at her eyes with her hand healed. Heal in hand, sickened spirit, Mayor, whom Tippachi loved like life, hated this living. How not to? Many days, Tippachi hated it too. Tippachi looked over at the genin, working the rollers and boilers, shook her head, no. Hopping John's not here anymore. Even from where she was standing, she could see some faces tightened at that head shake. The gang boss had his whip, so no one dared to stop working. But one of the men began a song, a gentle one, about resting when evening came. The raggedy voices filled the air along with the sweet cane juice smell. Tippachi went back to the fields with Mayor to tell the bookkeeper the news. Hoppin' John's woman, Belle, would be working there in the fields, too, waiting to know. The Salt Roads. This novel has a tendency of flipping back and forth between time periods. But it is a really good story. And I'm hoping that you go and pick it up. It does sell on Amazon, The Salt Roads.